Well, friends, as you know, we are in a series of sermons called This Is My Story. We've been journeying through the Bible and looking at uh, many stories through the Bible, but how they're all part of one big story of God's love for creation and God's desire to save us from, from ourselves and from the fall. In, in recent weeks, we have been talking about Moses and the Israelites' experience of slavery in Egypt. Uh, which brings us now to uh, that time where they were out wandering in the wilderness, and, uh, and God gave the law, the, the Ten Commandments, those two stone tablets. And so today for our sermon, we're going we're gonna to try something a, a little different. Uh, Emily, would you like to introduce our special guest? Yes. We are pleased today to have with us Dr. Steve Harper. He is uh, a retired uh, seminary professor and uh, United Methodist and Wesleyan scholar who um, has given so much to our church and contributed so much in terms of books and scholarship and not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge mm -hmm. and how we can be fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ in the Wesleyan way. And so Dr. Harper is a pleasure to be with you today on Zoom and uh, we're excited uh, for this conversation. I am too. I'm really grateful for the opportunity and look forward to the sharing with you for the next few minutes. So, so Steve, you just heard uh, where we are in the story. Um, so I, I'm just curious from, a, from your perspective, why, why do you think God felt it was necessary to, to send Moses up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? What what was it about the Israelites that needed that at that moment in the story? Well, I think we go, we can go back into Genesis uh, to, to really get the foundation. And we can understand that, that when God uh, made the covenant, started with Noah, chapter 9, Abraham, and chapters 12 and 14, I think it is. Uh, that's the way God intended for people to live after the fall. Covenant is... Is, is, is the way of life that God had in mind. I, I think we make a mistake when we think of uh, the law as rules and regulations or you know, little almost proverb sentences where, you know, do's and don'ts. You know, it was a way of life. And uh, that's very clear. And I think the reason that we see it where we do in Exodus, not just in the historical timeline, but in the book itself, is that Exodus, at least the way I like to think of it, it means a liberating exit. Mm. It's not just an exit. Mm. This was liberating for the Israelites. This was freedom from slavery. This was deliverance from bondage. So when you think about freedom, there are always two ways you think of it. The first is you think about what you're freed from. You know, we aren't in Egypt anymore. Mm. In the first 19 or so chapters, <laughs> excuse me, of Exodus, they've really kind of got where they've been on their mind. But God knew that you don't live in the past. Mm. James used to say, you don't grow on a no. <laughs> you grow based on the bad that you can remember. You, you grow in the anticipation that there's something more. So I think what happens in chapter 19 and 20, I think through chapter 24, is God says to the Israelites, it's time for you to stop looking backward and time for you to start looking forward. Hmm. So freedom, and this is a principle, not just in Exodus, it's a Christian 
principle. Freedom, Paul says in Galatians, Christ has set us free for freedom. Freedom from something, but it's also freedom for something. Hmm. Is where we figure out what we're for, what we're to be about, what kind of life we're supposed to live. Hmm. That's powerful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, we all have that in our lives. I mean, some people get stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. And they just can't break free. I mean, you can hear people give their testimonies. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, and everybody around you drowns too. Uh, but, you know, the testimony that sets the person free and sets the congregation free is, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's happening in Exodus is God says, okay, it's time to start thinking about the found part. Um, the rest of the story to mm. Harvey. Yeah. Yeah. So we think of the Ten Commandments, uh, but there are many other laws listed in the Torah. Some are kind of weird, especially <laughs> to 21st century readers. So how do we know which ones were meant just for then and uh, which laws are timeless? Okay. Which laws are uh, kind of set us free from <laughs> and free for? <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, the honest answer is that's a difficult uh, question, and it's not even one that Christians agree on. Let's just be frank about it. I'm going to give you my response, but it would not be the response that everybody in the history of Christianity would give, and it's certainly not even the one that all Christians today want to give. The spectrum is obey everything, uh, maybe not not cooking goats in milk. I'm not saying it that literally, but I mean, there's a pretty strong sentiment on the part of some people that every law has to be obeyed in some way. Then there's all the other extreme that says, you know, you're no longer under the law. It just skip it. It's almost like you just ought to start reading the Bible with the gospel of Matthew or something and not pay that much attention to the Pentateuch or whatever. I'm somewhere in between on that. And it's not to try to give you a compromise answer. It's just to give you the answer. I think the Bible gives us the clue if we're willing to see it. Of course, that sounds prejudicial to me, but I'm going to put it that way because it's the way I see it. I think there are two lenses to help us understand the laws that are timeless and those that are not as timeless and maybe some that aren't timeless at all. They were sub-Christian to begin with. Somebody in precatory psalm, I don't think any Christian I know is going to go out and beat babies' heads against the rocks. I mean, there's just some stuff we're not going to do, and there's some laws we're not, we're just not going to keep. They're just not meant. Um, Sometimes they're even misunderstood in their own day. So the first lens for understanding the timelessness of the law is Jesus. He said in Matthew 5, 17, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Now, that ought to be the sentiment of every Christian. Mm. You know, we, we can say to each other, you know, this is tough. Some, it's hard to know. Which, But we're not here to destroy the law. We're to fulfill it. Then you have to say, what did the word fulfill mean? Mm. And it's, it's the Greek word that means to fill full mm. or refill. In other words, the law, by the time you got to Jesus's day, think of it like a container. Uh, think of it like a gas tank. It, it was only half full. Mm-hmm. What, what was meant to be there wasn't totally there anymore. Mm. 
So Jesus comes along in 517. I haven't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. And then just what, 31 verses later, Matthew 548, he defines it as love. What was missing in the law in Jesus' day was not rules and regulations. It was relationships. What was missing in Jesus' day was, was, uh, was not legalism. What was missing was love. So that's the first clue that we get with love in place. See, when you say make love your aim, I think Paul says that somewhere. Then Jesus was willing to break some laws. Which ones? The ones that had become legalistic. See. And so he was willing to break that law, but it's not a destroying the law, it's a breaking it open so that it can be refilled with what God intended for it to be. Let me give you one example. That's when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You know, the literal legal, it says, don't do that. Do not heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said, okay, let's break that law and understand that when you lead with love, you put people over programs. You, you, you say, I'm not breaking the law, I'm fulfilling it. You know, you, you, Jesus said, you get your ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath, why won't you heal a person? See, That's a vantage point. It's the vantage point of love. That's one way. Uh, I think the other is the lens of the early church, particularly in Acts chapter 15, when the Gentiles are being brought in. Now, remember, when the Bible says Jews and Gentiles, that's the whole world. <laughs> there are only two kinds of people. As far as the Jews are concerned, they're Jews and everybody else. And the word Gentile stands for person from Norway or Ethiopia or Uruguay or, or you know, Japan. And I mean, Gentile is everybody who's not a Jew. So when the church decides to include the Gentiles, they're saying we're now realizing God calls us to include everyone. And the question comes in Acts chapter 15. So where does the law fit into this? And it's interesting. As you know, in the text, in 1528, they narrowed it down to two essentials where they didn't want the Gentiles to be idolatrous and they didn't want them to be unfaithful. Mm -hmm. Now, hang on, not quite through. When you go back to the Ten Commandments, that's the two sections of the Decalogue. The first four have to do with don't be idolatrous. Mm -hmm. And the last six have to do how to live faithfully with each other. Hmm. So without even saying it, what the early church is doing is they're fulfilling the law. Hmm. They aren't taking 613 rules and regulations and says, memorize these. And when you can repeat them back to us, we'll let you join the church. They're, they're taking the principle that was begun in Exodus of do not be idolatrous and live faithfully with each other, which is where Jesus summarized the two great commandments, love God, love others. This whole thing fits together. These are not separate stories. These are subtopics of one story. Love God, love others. 10 commandments, two great commandments, Christian church. Hmm. So uh, that's where I think we, 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 we look at those verses and we say, which of these laws increase love? Which of these laws um, enable us to worship God as we should and to love our neighbor as we should? And yeah, let me be, that's not a narrow thing. Even planting, you know, don't plant uh, two different kinds of seeds in one field. Uh, we don't worry about that anymore because our agricultural stuff has changed over time. 
But what that's saying to us is care for the earth. Hmm. Don't love the earth, see? So even, even when you look at a law and you say, well, that probably doesn't have anything to do with love. Not so fast, see? Hmm. Not so fast. Hmm. Uh, God says, love the earth. Hmm. Back in that day, that meant not planting two seeds. They, they thought there'd be some kind of contamination. They didn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Don't know how to do it. Don't do it. <laughs> uh, so even some of the laws that you go up, that doesn't have anything to do with love. Oh well, yeah, maybe it does. Mm. Steve, you you said a couple things there that struck me. Um, you know, obviously Jesus told us to love love our neighbors. That's a great commandment. Um, you talked about living faithfully. I, you know, I, I can't imagine any Christian I know not affirming both of those things. Exactly. Um, exactly. And yet it's, it's sometimes it's in, it's in the living it out that things get a little messier. Um, as you, as you said earlier, uh, Christians don't all agree about these laws. And, right. um, you know, specifically I'm thinking about ones around issues of, of, of sexuality. Uh, sure. Absolutely. Exodus Leviticus has, you know, Ten Commandments talks about adultery, but beyond yes. that, there's lots. And these are dividing um, in society and then in the church, and even in the United Methodist Church. If not for this pandemic, we, we might be divided as a, as a denominator, you know, officially That's right. divided as a. That's right. So I, I just wonder, you know, as you as you think about some of those laws and I'm thinking of Exodus Leviticus around sexuality. Like how, what's a biblical way to approach understanding those laws in particular? Well, let me begin um, to respond to that question by saying it's, it's an unavoidable question. And it's one that, that I realized that my previous response kind of got up to, but didn't directly address. Uh, But I want to start with my previous response, because I think that's where the Holy Spirit wishes we would be as Christians. We want to jump directly to the text. We want to go to Leviticus. We want to go to Sodom and Gomorrah. And and, and all that has its place and its time, but but it's out of context, see? That's the problem. The context is what I was referring to previously. Jesus's law of love and the early church inclusion of the Gentiles. That's where we start. And if we could stay there long enough in the United Methodist Church right now, we might have a conversation that we don't have because we skipped that part. But, but recognizing we need to, to do it, let me respond. My, my sense is the applicable laws are those that uh, address the law as a whole. And that's the word covenant. That's what the whole thing is about. See? You got 613 of them by the time Jesus comes on board. But the covenant is the word that gathers them all together. And so the applicable laws on human sexuality are those that honor the covenant versus those that violate the covenant. What's the covenant? Sacredness, monogamy, fidelity, and permanency. Hmm. When the church does the study of holy love, you'll do that in more detail. I don't need to do much more than mention it today. In other words, the covenant is about life where love prevails. There's the summary. The covenant is about life where love prevails. So we start not with a particular verse, 
we start with an understanding that God is working so that love of God and neighbor will take place. When it comes to human sexuality, we look for those verses that violate love and those that don't. The other is then you've got the laws in particular. And the first one, which is an umbrella one, 10 commandments, but 613 laws is adultery. That really means a lot more than just a married couple who are unfaithful to each other. Adultery is just unfaithful. Thou shalt not commit adultery means you don't cheat on your income tax. You, you know, you don't do all kinds of things. There's all sorts of ways to be adulterous. We've read sexuality in that as if that's the only thing that that commandment has to do with. But that's adultery is the big word for unfaithfulness in mm -hmm. every area. So then when you take that and say, so where else do you see that in the, in the rest of the, what, 603 <laughs> instructions? Then you begin to see verses that talk about this and talk about that and talk about the other. The applicable laws begin in the covenant as a whole. Then they get expressed in what I would call the instructions. Now, some scholars do this. They call the law one thing and the instructions something else. Now, the Jews probably thought Torah is Torah. Don't, don't, don't play with words. But, you know, the Ten Commandments are what God gave first. And then these other things are almost interpretations of the Big Ten. Mm. Um, in my book, uh, we, we, I do look at specific texts, and you all will be doing that. But for the sake of time, maybe today, it's just enough to say that covenant is how we decide where the applicable laws for sexuality are. Mm. Um, well, Steve, you brought up your book, sure. um, Holy Love, and um, so I just wondered if you could share a synopsis with us. Vance has his copy right there. Um, and also maybe perhaps share your motivation or your inspiration for writing it. Yeah, let me start with the motivation, maybe, because, you know, the motivation is what gave rise to the book. One is what I would call a kind of a practical ecclesial motivation after, after General Conference 2019. Uh, there were people, I'm told, um, by the folks at Abingdon Press who were calling in saying, do you have any book uh, mm -hmm. that would present this issue of human sexuality from something other than a conservative point of view? In other words, is, does, is, does the WCA alone have a theological case here? Or, you know, are they the only ones who are biblical? So my editor calls me. He knew I'd written for the sake of the bride in 2014. We talked. He said, Steve, I know this book is in you. I know it is. Uh, we need it. And I said, Paul, you know, I'm not I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not. And he said, no, no, I'm calling you because of who you are, not because of who you're not. We need a book that can be read and used in churches or individuals. Um, we, we don't want a big, thick scholarly text. Uh, you can point to those if you want to in your footnotes, which I do. But we want a book that anybody who says, is there another way to look at this? Abingdon could say, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is. Uh, we've got a book by Steve Harper called Holy Love. So there's kind of the, you know, the motivation was, was really based on what happened at General Conference. And people were wondering, is there only really one way to look at this? And my little book basically says, uh, no, there, there's another way that's faithful to scripture, not to the way everybody interprets it. But I've told people, you can you can read my book in one hand, hold it and hold the Bible in the other. I'm not trying to separate those two. 
at all. I have no interest in dividing theology and scripture. But all I'm trying to say in this book is you don't have to do that. Now, you may have to lose some friends. You may have to have some disagreements. You may have people are going to say, I don't get it. I don't. But you don't have to lay the Bible down to read my book Mm. in such a way as to try to really emphasize that point. Uh, there is a theology. It didn't come to pass in the last 10, 15, 20, 40 years. It's been in the Christian tradition all along. It just hasn't been in the forefront all along. And so um, if I were to give a synopsis, I would, I would say this. Holy love aims to say we can hold to a strong view of scripture and also be LGBTQ plus allies. We can affirm them, we can offer them full access to the ministries of the church, and we can assimilate them into the life of the church. That's what I hope a person would say uh, after they've read Holy Love. It's possible. Now, you still got to be willing to do it. I've had some people read the book and say, you know, I understand everything you're saying in there. It's not like I didn't understand it. It's just that I don't think that's what I'm ready to do yet in my life or in my church. And I say, Fair enough. Neither was I until I was 66 years old. This late, I'm like the person in the parable, you know, that worked in the vineyard for an hour. <laughs> there are a lot of people who've worked longer than I have and invested more and risked more and paid a higher price. But at the end of the day, guess what? They all got paid the same. Mm. It's not how long you work. It's, it's that you work. Um, so this is my little latecomer contribution. Steve, I wonder if you'd elaborate on that. You said you're a latecomer um, at six. What what happened at age sixty six that? Well, that's that's two thousand fourteen, um, and it was a rough spring. I write about this in chapter one, so those in, uh, in FOMCO are going to be studying the book. This will you'll hear that you'll read what you're about to hear. So I'll make it short. I had an enough is enough moment in, in Lent. I, I had decided to use the Book of Common Prayer as my devotional mainstay. And there's some prayers in there about the danger of division mm. and the unhealthy condition of the human spirit when we begin to separate from one another. And it was like the Spirit said, Steve, you either got to take this to heart or just stop praying it. Close the book. Close the book or open your heart. So I talked to Jeannie some about it, and we uh, we said, you know, this is something we need to pay attention to. She was farther along than I was. She grew up in an Air Force family where some of these distinctions just had never made any sense to her. And quite honestly, she could see changes in my life prior to this, but it was Lent of 2014. Now, you may remember, you all, that um, that's also when um, Franklin Graham came down on, on the World Vision for deciding to provide insurance and benefits for employees in same-sex relationships. And in 24 hours, Franklin Graham threatened to bring World Vision down. Now you gotta understand that I became a Christian in part because of the influence of Billy Graham in my life. And I followed his ministry pretty closely. And Franklin Graham did not and continues not to personify the spirit of Billy Graham. I don't know how this father-son disconnect has happened, but it's there. And, and that angered me. I, I felt like Franklin had hijacked a part of my story that included the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. And then in the United Methodist Church, that's just the time, and I say this out loud because it's not a secret, 
when some in the good news movement begin talking about an amicable separation and one of the leaders said, we're, we're, we're just going to be in a cage match from now until general conference. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm not going to be in a cage match. I don't know where I'm going. I, I, I really was a man without a country, I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. All I knew was, was not where I was going. I just knew where I couldn't come back. Too. See, that's what, in Exodus, there was that back to Egypt committee, see? Mm-hmm. And you can't do that. You've gone too far to turn back now, to quote that song. And that's what happened to me. I'd gone too far to turn back now. I, I did not know where my life would be in 2020 like it is today. I just knew I could not continue to remain where I'd been. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I wonder, Steve, you know, maybe just a couple of last questions. I, I wonder if if you were to sit down with, and I'm sure you've done this, you know, with a young man or woman uh, who identifies as LGBTQ uh, and is and is Christian um, and and maybe is struggling with some of these law, you know, these laws or what they've been told yes. these laws say. Um, and 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 are wondering, they're seeking counsel about how do I live faithful to the law of God, to Scripture, uh, and be true to um, who I understand myself to be um, in terms yes. of my human sexuality. I, I just wonder what you would say to a person like that. All right, Vance, let me make sure I'm hearing you so I don't go off on a tangent. You're talking about a person of an LGBTQ orientation, right? Mm-hmm. Not not a conservative Christian. You're talking about a person who's struggling. Okay, yeah, I have. I mean, that's um, the first thing that I, that I always say, and it's not a, it, it's uh, it, it's genuine, and it's, I struggle too. Um, I don't struggle with whether I'm gay or straight, but I struggle with the question of living faithfully. Mm-hmm. And I say to LGBTQ people, go to the covenant. And I'm not going to ask you a question. There are no, there's no trick questions here. I'm just going to say to you as if I'm talking to the person, is the sexual relationship you're in one of sacredness? Do you see it as a holy, I mean, really a godly thing? Hmm. Is it driven, as Jesus said, by lust of the eyes, you know, in the flesh. Is it sacred? Uh, is it, does it, does it express, you know, a monogamy? <clears throat> Um, if, if you're in a relationship with, are you being faithful to that person? And uh, do you have existing or perhaps hoping that that relationship might become permanent? And I stopped there. I said, you don't have to answer these questions. This is the filter, though, I want you to, you say you're struggling. Yeah, me too. And let's, as a straight person, as a gay person, let's go to the same place. Let's don't go to two different places. There's not two standards. There's one standard. It's the covenant. Is your sexuality sacred, monogamous, faithful, and permanent? If it is, we need to keep talking about it. Doesn't mean it doesn't have some problems in it, but I mean, let's face it, folks. Mary and Joseph were not married when she had Jesus. <laughs> so you know, if we're going to really get down, we've got to we've got to just say hold it. But they were in a covenant relationship. In fact, Judaism had a betrothal period where they could begin to live into sacredness, monogamy, fidelity, and permanency. So that's what I want everybody to do. Uh, That's what I would, 
would say with a struggler. I'd say the same thing to a conservative Christian who's struggling whether or not to become inclusive or not. Can you go to covenant and embrace that as the biblical revelation and then use that to affirm a sexuality other than the kind you're living? Hmm. I think covenant is really the key. I really do. That's really a helpful lens. Hmm. So, you know, covenant is about relationship. So I just, I wonder, Steve, what you would say to a church like First Church Orlando that wants to be um, a place that's welcoming and affirming to all people where all people uh, can be in relationship with God and with one another here and be faithful to God's laws. Well, first of all, I want to thank you. I know you're going to begin a study and I hope the study will help partly at least answer that question. I've been really working hard through holy love and everything else to not try to set up a two-track system here. I, I think Christians are to live by one standard. So what I would say to FOMCO or any other church is do the same thing with respect to human sexuality that you do with everything else. Lead with love. Don't, don't, don't form you know, a separate section of your, ma- of your manual about what do we do with LGBTQ people. What do you do with everybody? How has how the history of your church uh, been faithful to two great commandments, to love God and love others? What, what, what do you have in your DNA where you're already doing it? Just add one dimension to it. Don't, don't have another section. Just add one more on the list. Maybe it's homeless. We've been really to the homeless or, or to the poor or uh, we've been a great church for missions or whatever it is. All right, go down that list. Give thanks to God for you've been leading with love in all these areas. Now just lead in one more. And what what I think lead means, and I'm going to take that phrase, lead with love. I think what lead means in the general public is be proactive. What I've discovered is the LGBT community just doesn't know whether your church is affirming or not unless you tell them you are. They don't know. In fact, they start with the suspicion that you're not. So if you say, I don't know why they think that about us. A lot of churches, they think it about you because you hadn't told them otherwise. (laughs) They don't know. They they don't know. And so they're going to drive by your church till the cows come home because they don't know whether they're going to be welcome in there or not. The church has to go on the initiative. That's what leading with love means. It means taking initiative. And I think with love means three things very quickly. One, it, it is affirmation. We might say inclusion. It's access. That is, in this church, you have access to the full ministries of the church, including marriage and ordination. If God happens to call you into ordained ministry, we will support you in that journey. That's what I mean by access. And then finally, it's assimilation. This has been a newer thing that's come recently as I've talked with with LGBTQ persons. They don't want to be treated differently. They aren't asking for double standard. They're just saying, would you normalize the way you relate to us the same way you relate normally to other people? Think, think of the questions that people don't ask you or me when we go to church on Sunday morning. So let's stop asking somebody, you straight, you gay? <laughs> let's normalize the community, see? Yeah. That's what they're hungry for. Oh, they love, LGBTQ people love to know they're welcome. They love to know they're affirmed. They love to know they're given access to the church, but they just like to not be singled out anymore. Mm -hmm. 
So there's a stretch for some churches. Just normalize it. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason we don't really know what that means is because all the stuff that's become normal for First Church, for example, you don't think about it anymore. Same way a fish doesn't think about water. It's just in it. So we keep working to create an atmosphere in the church where we aren't pointing in any toward any particular person. We aren't shining the spotlight on any particular group. There, it's life together, 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 together. That's what I would say to a church. Lead with love. What a great word. Lead with love. I love that. Um, now we got to do it. <laughs> well, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Well, Steve, thank you. Uh, Thank you for this time that you've shared with us. It's been rich. Um, Thank you for the book. I think it's going to mean a lot to our church and uh, be a helpful tool. Most most importantly, thank you for being you. Thank you for your journey and the way God has used you and uh, in my life and many lives. And um, we're, we're just thankful for you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to be with you today, and I, I'll be praying for you as you embark on this church-wide study. Thank you. God bless.